been re-presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. That's right, this is SpinRate, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and I'm so excited. This is going to be, well, they're all, each individual episode is one of my own sweet, uh, beloved children, but I am so excited for this, this episode in particular, because boy, the Blue Jays had an entertaining and interesting weekend, and boy, did it come at the expense of one of the kind of main characters in the Blue Jays' narrative over the last half decade, let's say. Before we go any further, I, of course, am excited. Oh, I, I am equally excited to welcome back the main character of Spinrate. She covers the Toronto Blue Jays for The Athletic. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I'm great. I mean, at best, we're both co-stars of the narrative that is this podcast. I wouldn't say I'm the main character. Listen, I know what side of the bread upon which the show is buttered. You can do it without me. You bring the thunder. I just put the, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm like the storm chaser. I'm the guy driving around in the in the Bronco, in the, in the cornfield, and you are the thunder and lightning? I don't know. It doesn't matter. There was nothing short of fireworks like thunder and lightning in Buffalo, this weekend as the Blue Jays took on the Texas Rangers. But that's not the only, you know, large explosion in, that's reflective of celebration uh, or a thing worth celebrating, which is, of course, the news that the Toronto Blue Jays are coming back officially to Toronto to play games in the beautiful city of Toronto at the somewhat adequate stadium that's within the beautiful city of Toronto. July 30th, they will be there. Caitlin will be there. I will not mm-hmm. be there, probably. But it's all happening. So before we get into this week's episode, I, of course, will do the housekeeping parts, which is to encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic, where you can read all about the beating of the Rangers this weekend. You can read all about the, the post-draft stuff. We've talked a lot about the draft in the last couple of weeks, Caitlin and I, and then Jeff Paternostro and I this week. So if you missed either of those, you can go. Jeff and I uh, went long. Really uh, great to chat with him about uh, some of the players the Blue Jays. Uh, chose and kind of the state of the Blue Jays farm system is maybe they look to make some trades, look to convert some of that prospect capital into big league talent as this Blue Jays team looks maybe sort of kind of poised to maybe kind of sort of do something worthwhile uh, this season. So go to theathletic.com slash spin rate. Subscribe to The Athletic. They'll give you a tidy discount. You can read all of Caitlin's trade proposals. And then when they do make trades, fingers crossed, she will break them down for you and you can read it. If you want to listen to this show, you don't have to be a subscriber, but if you are, you can listen to it ad-free through the Athletic app. But if you aren't a subscriber, that's cool too. We thank you. I thank you, Caitlin. I assume thanks you. I mean, you know, she is the star of the show, but she doesn't have an ego. So she's appreciative and gra- gracious of you listening to the show, which you can do anywhere you get your podcasts, whether you subscribe to the Athletic or otherwise. At Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, at places that aren't monkeying with your with your personal information uh, which like is probably nowhere it's the internet but you know stitcher overcast wherever you get your podcast go sign up up give us a rating give us a review subscribe do all that great stuff we appreciate it we've had a great first half of the season here for spin rate and we're thankful for everyone who's been along for the ride and we hope that you are along for the ride here into what should be a very interesting second half it's going to be an interesting end all august and september as the blue jays are going to play some baseball games there in Toronto in front of fans at the Rogers Center. But let's let's pause on that first. Let's talk about the weekend that was and then we will talk about the homestand the, the homecoming that will be. Wow. The Blue Jays just they beat those Rangers real real bad. They beat them up something good. They outscored them 25 to 2. 25 games. to 2 in three games. Now, in that three games that were only two of which were only seven innings because the yes. game on Saturday was rained out. So then the Blue Jays and Rangers played two games on Sunday after a drubbing on Friday night, mm-hmm. which was, it was 10-2, right? Yes. 10-2, two runs coming in kind of not garbage time, but uh, a late home run coming with the score that was 10-0 in the top of the ninth. Then the Blue Jays on Sunday win 5-0 in the opener and then 10-0 again 
in the second half, clubbing innumerable home runs off of Mike Fultonevich. And uh, I think that was it. That was he. All the damage came against uh, Fulte, who was out there, kind of left to wear it after a very rough and long first inning. Um, let me ask you this quick, Caitlin. Uh, I, 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 we can start here on Sunday. I think the Stephen Matz was is kind of an interesting character. So let's start with Stephen Matz. Before let me interrupt myself. Stephen Matz is maybe the guy who's kind of pitching for his job these days. He looked great. He's pitching for his job because his is the one that might get upgraded if the Blue Jays decide they might want to make a move for now. This is, is, is the premise that I'm operating from. But mm-hmm. can you put much stock in a performance, strong as it was by Stephen Matz? You know, I think he went five innings, struck out two, maybe. I don't think he walked anybody. Struck out two, struck out three. Um, two, two, no walks, yeah. Three hits, I think. It's, that, that sounds about right. Three hits, two strikeouts. You're reading it. I'm trying to remember. No, it's in my brain. There you go. Well done. <laughs> it's half in my brain. But the question is, is, is there value from, from an evaluatory evaluation standpoint uh-huh. being like, hey, this is a guy we can count on because that Texas Rangers lineup is so truly embarrassing and like a disgrace. They are not a big league team. Like straight up. There's one good player on that team, and his name is Joey Gallo, and he's going to play for the Blue Jays soon. <laughs> and then they'll be left with a replacement-level squad that would lose to the actual Buffalo Bisons, not the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, well, with Stephen Matz, it's actually like sort of an interesting um, question just because I don't know that it's purely just about his results. I think that he's had sort of a disjointed last couple of weeks. If you consider he did have somewhat of a nice start, I think, against the Red Sox way back when. And then he went on the COVID IL and then he missed a couple starts and then he came back. And obviously he was um, a little bit rusty and you have to kind of get back into your rhythm and he had to build up his pitch count again. And then he has two starts, I think it was, and then the all-star break happens. So again, like the rhythm that, starting pitchers so crave. And I think that Steven Matz, I don't know that he's Robbie Ray level of guy who loves his routine, but, um, or even Hunjin Ryu of guy who loves his routine, but he strikes me as a guy that does like to, um, get into a rhythm and seems to thrive more just because, you know, he's not a pitcher that throws super hard and he does have to kind of rely on like fastball command and all that kind of stuff. So I do think that rhythm is quite important to him. And so from that point of view, just seeing him have a good start and, and get out there. And I think he was up to like 70 pitches or something, um, five innings, um, you know, maybe that's just at least something that he can build off of in terms of just like, you know, pitch count, length, um, and, and controlling a lineup. Yes, it's the Texas Rangers lineup. And I think now that we think back, like he had a, his first really nice start of the season, his first start of the season, I believe, was against the Rangers, right? And he also looked really good in that first start of the season. So clearly the Rangers lineup, um, you know, is is a good lineup for him to face. He's done it twice now, and he's uh, managed them quite well, as did all the Blue Jays pitchers this series, obviously. Um, but you raise a good point, and and you know maybe I'll like suggest something that I've been thinking, and and I don't know what the Blue Jays would do if they do upgrade at starting pitcher, and certainly they could do that. I think that there's a definite case that they should do that. But I wonder if it's Matt's pitching for his job, which it very may well be, or if the easier decision, even though it's sort of unfair, is to move Ross Stripling to the bullpen just because he's a guy that's done it before and he kind of came into the season understanding that at some point he may go to the bullpen and he's kind of outlasted maybe what we anyone predicted that he would last in the rotation. Um, and I don't know what Matt's would do in the bullpen. I just wonder if it's a better play for the team um, building a bullpen and building the starting staff and how and how each pitcher would respond to that um, if it makes more sense for Stripling. But, I mean, you raise a good point, and I think the other side of that is just like – you keep the start – you keep the pitchers who are pitching the best in your rotation, and that's – that's just what you do. And if Steven Matz is the fifth guy, then he just falls off and he goes to the bullpen and maybe he just kind of replaces a guy like Anthony Kay in the bullpen right now. Right. And he's sort of a long guy and he's a, maybe he can throw a little harder from the bullpen. I don't know what he would look like. I don't know that he's ever pitched from the bullpen. I'd have to look at his baseball reference and see if he ever has, but can't imagine he has much. 
To me, it'd be interesting. And, and, and you said something that you, you just kind of said it. That's what we do in these things. You're like, he doesn't throw that hard. Steven Matz throws his average fastball this year is 94.8 miles an hour, which is not hard in 2021 baseball terms, but it's absurd in like human being terms. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, he touched, uh, today at one point, he touched 96 with his fastball. So that's hard. And I wonder in terms of bullpen pieces between he and Ross Stripling, if that kind of stuff wouldn't play up a little bit. And I mean, Steven Matz is basically a two pitch pitcher anyway. So, you know, you, you're, you're not asking him to, to turn a lineup over. You're not, you can maybe get away with throwing, you know, changeups to if he's, if he's in there facing lefties or, you know, if his fastball, whatever the different matchups you could play. I think it might be interesting to see him just because he mm-hmm. does just throw that much harder. And, and, and I mean, I, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of in my head. I, same thing. Like, does he have better stuff than Ross Stripling? Probably. You know, Ross Stripling is good at what he's good at and he's pitched well and he's been effective as like an inning, not, I wouldn't even say innings eater, but like that's, he's, he's not a huge strikeout guy. Not, neither is Matt. We only struck out two today, but like, I don't, I just think, I mean, there's not, neither of them are a guy who immediately jumps to mind as like, you move him to the bullpen and he's going to become an animal. But, but, uh, mm-hmm. it, it is interesting to see how, um, how, how Matt's, as an example, just because of the extra bit of velocity might fare. Um, in the bullpen. But if he pitches like that, if he gets to face a, a, a team um, like the Rangers in, in the playoffs, improbably, uh, he would be great because he mm-hmm. seems to own them. And and he, he I think you could say, safely say that he made a lot of good pitches. Um, you know, he's working this fastball up in the zone. Uh, you know, I don't, I can't think, you know, the, there was that, the double um, from, uh, from uh, Kiner Falefa that was like, just sort of like a squirt down the right field line that, that uh, was that he uh, the the Rangers leadoff hitter catcher come shortstop uh, stretched into a double not particularly hit hard you know there wasn't there weren't a lot of balls that were scalded and that just um, that you know that that made anything other, other than Matz was like in control he he just he ended up pitching really really well and it's encouraging for Stephen Matz it's encouraging for the Blue Jays because if you do make a move um, having a guy like him and Stripling around is not. Not a bad problem to have, even a little bit. Yeah, that's one of those things where, like, there's some moves where I, like, can comfortably say, like, I think the Blue Jays are going to do this. Or I think the Blue Jays should do this. Or I can just really kind of predict it. But the sort of conversation of, like, who would be the guy that gets bumped to the bullpen, to me, it's, like, sort of a toss-up. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised really either way. And I could see the argument either way. And like, it would just be a matter of like maybe some numbers or maybe some situations that like the blue Jays would have more insight on um, just from like a coaching staff perspective or like a management or whatever analytic staff perspective. Piggyback them go old, old, old new school with like, depending on the matchups you bring, bring Matt's out, send Matt's once through the lineup, then you bring stripling in. And then if it, depending on who, what the other, what the other team looks like, you switch it up on them. You just, Get right in there and get right in their kitchen. Yeah. I'm now, now I think that's a good idea. An idea that I started out <laughs> saying half assed and like with like out the side of my mouth. Now I'm like, you know what? You could do worse. Let's go. Hyunjin Ryu pitched a complete game, seven inning complete game yeah. as, as it is. But he, speaking of velocity, was up to, I believe, 93 today. A guy mm-hmm. who they're, they're, it's been said, you know, rumbles and mumbles a few times over the, over the, the here in his second year with the Blue Jays about his, he does like when he has the opportunity to get an extra day of rest, extra day of rest, I should say. And here coming out of the, um, out of the all-star break with a, with a few extra days of rest. Now you're looking at Hyunjin Ryu, um, looking like a million bucks. I'm not only throwing a bit harder, but I know that there was some commentary about uh, 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 Ryu and Pete Walker looking to adjust his arm slot, which may have uh, fallen or dropped a little bit. Um, uh, and you know, if they were able to correct that, and then he's he's looking good again against a terrible lineup. But uh, you know that those are the things you look to see: the command and then a little bit of velocity, and you know that Ryu is going to be good to go. Yeah, I think the arm slot was specifically in reference to the changeup, which obviously is sort of like his bread and butter pitch. And it's such a, I guess you could say like a fickle pitch, maybe that something like an arm slot minor difference would make a, would make a major difference in terms of the actual pitch. Right. And like pairing that with Ryu, like you said, he went up, um, velocity to 93, but that's, 
that's not hard really in, in major league terms. Um, still in human terms. Yes. But, um, in human terms, in human terms, <laughs> if you saw a, a car driving on the highway at 93 miles an hour, you would want to call the police because they're a maniac. <laughs> And here he is. It's like, oh my God, Grandpa! Like, uh, get, get get it together. Kind of <laughs> yeah. get, put your back into it. Yeah, but um, but yeah, just the the change up and is sort of the pitch that's made him the pitcher who he is, dating back to I think his time and um the KBO. So nice for him to have that pitch working for him once again, and hopefully that this is sort of a a, a period where he you know the All Star break rejuvenated him a little bit and. Then, you know, maybe his, uh, gosh, what month are we in? July is going to look more similar to like his April and May as opposed to the June, which really was like, you know, might have been one of the worst months of Ryu's career overall, Blue Jays career and Dodgers career. Very much out of character. Uh, yeah. I think it was like five or six starts in a row that were just significantly below the standard that which uh, you know he has set for himself mm-hmm. uh you know over a, a very uh strong career between LA and now Toronto uh a standard that earned him what did he get 83 million bucks whatever the blue jays gave him like 80 million yeah a good nice little chunk of change he looked good mats looked good bullpen looked good rangers made it all possible we'll be right back with more spin rate but first check this out Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. We've been talking, we've talked a little bit on the show over and over about the opportunity that the Blue Jays are presented with in terms of building off of the sort of career year of Marcus or second career year of Marcus Simeon, kind of similar very strong contender for career year for Robbie Ray, potential career year for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette figuring it out, you know, just strong performances, Teoscar Hernandez sort of figuring it out. There are a lot of things, a lot of um, indicators that are pointed up, and it's important for a team or for a, a management team perhaps to make sure they do do what they can to capitalize on that. And I think about the the game, the second game of the doubleheader today, which was a, the Blue Jays, showing so much of what they're capable of in one little like snapshot. So this is specific, not specific. The Blue Jays are playing the Texas Rangers who are terrible. Mike Fulton is having a terrible year. I think he's given up 28 home runs now um, after giving up four bombs today. But the Rangers presented the Blue Jays with an opportunity in that first inning, first inning, second, yeah, whatever, second inning, when there was a blown call. So there were first and third, there were two out. And who was at the plate? I don't remember who was at the plate. And the, and, and Fulton Evers threw like a curve or a slider, and it caught the outside corner. But whoever was the runner on first, it might have been Simeon, bluffed off of the bag. And and I think I've got the, the situation kind of wrong. But the runner bluffed off the bag, and then what's his name? Jonah Heem or Heim, who was the Buffalo native who started mm-hmm. for the Rangers, and was, it was, which is a great story. It's, it's a great story that he's made in the big leagues. Um, he went dramatically, like right, running and sort of sliding out of the, out of the, um, the, the catching, catcher's box, for lack of a better term, to like be ready to make, a, to make a throw. Definitely kind of cut the umpire's view off a little bit, and obviously was doing lots of motion. And then the ump blew the call. It would have been strike three. The Blue Jays, given that opportunity, all went on to have a huge inning. And then we're up 10 nothing, you know, in a, in a heartbeat. Same thing when, um, in another situation where, where Marcus Simeon was on first base. There was a ground ball hit to the second baseman. Instead of allowing himself to get tagged, Marcus Simeon turned and ran back to first base, forced the guy to chase him down whichever rando uh, might have been Nick Solak, I guess, to make a tag and then throw the ball onto first base. 
double play not made. Brock Holt, there was a slow roller hit across the infield. Brock Holt came running in. Um, it was going to be a close play anyway, but Brock Holt sort of lost his balance. Um, uh, whoever was, it might have been Teoscar Hernandez, chugging down the line, beats it out. He's safe. You know, whatever, eventually cut to grand slam. Like, now while the Rangers, who are so bad, provide that opportunity, it, I think it's, that's like good teams capitalize on those uh, on those opportunities good teams don't let bad teams off the hook i think and i think that while the the anyone looks like a good team compared to the oops anyone looks like a good team compared to the rangers the blue jays to me by pounding on them this weekend look like a good team right right they didn't screw around they didn't you know a guy even a, even a guy like Matts or you know some of the the guys that came out of the bullpen on friday or then on sunday they didn't start they didn't weren't nibbling they didn't walk the ballpark they were like we are better than this team let us demonstrate that by hitting home runs by when they give an opportunity they took it and they just throttled them this is you know, that the extra half game i, I don't know that extra, the difference between winning two out of three against a team like the Rangers and winning all three is huge. So for the Blue Jays to be able to do that, I, I don't know. I, to me, it's like it's not nothing. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy, but I but watching that, watching them be able to take care, take advantage of a team that they were probably going to beat the Rangers in the second game of the doubleheader anyway. But the way that they did it, it makes me again not not you. You were talking about this off there. It's not, I'm not going to be like this is this is 2015 all over again, but like this is a good team that we're watching. This is a good team that has a chance to continue to be good and really make a lot of noise here in the second half. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, I got my fanboy glasses on right now. <laughs> um, no, I think you make a lot of good points. Um, I will say that that is something that Blue Jays have done fairly well this year in terms of beating teams that they should beat. Like they have put together a pretty good record against teams that they are, um, you know, better than in the standings or, or teams that they should on paper beat. And they have done a fairly good job of that. I think the, you know, the interesting thing with the Blue Jays season and something that will kind of determine their second half is how they start playing against teams that are more difficult to beat, like teams that are playing above 500. You, you talk about, um, you know, the sharpness of which they played against the Rangers, but we've seen the complete opposite of that when sometimes the Blue Jays look a little, um, you know, shell-shocked or nervous or out of sorts when they play a team like the Rays. And sometimes the Rays can really expose them um, in terms of, you know, defensive deficiencies or, you know, base running blunders. Like we've seen that before. And it's certainly not something that's like, um, you know, I don't think that the Blue Jays are a, a bad team by any means, but I do think that they have to play better against good teams. And I just was like, I was searching as you were talking. So I was trying to look up their record. And I think their record, if this is correct, is 26 and 33 against teams above 500. So they're, they they have a losing record against teams by five uh against teams above 500. It's not terrible by any means. Like, you know, a couple more wins here and they're, you know, 30 and 33, right? It's getting closer. Um mm-hmm. and that sort of leads us to the rest of this week or I guess this coming week where they play the Red Sox this week and then they play three games and then they play the Red Sox again next week four games. So seven games against the Red Sox here coming right before the trade deadline. Um, and I'm not necessarily one that wants to circle series and say, this is a pivotal series and this is a pivotal series. Cause you know, you could probably make an argument that there are many pivotal series then throughout the season, or you could make the counter argument that like, you know, none are pivotal cause they all kind of matter. But anyway, um, like I do think that how they play against the Red Sox, though, um, is going to be important. Like they, I think that they, I don't think they have a winning record against the Red Sox right now. I think they're four and five against them. Um, so not too off, right? Like they win, if they win on Monday, then they're 500 against the Red Sox. But, um, that is something that if the Blue Jays do want to be a playoff team, they're going to have to start playing better against good teams. And they're also going to have to start playing better against the two teams that they're chasing in the division, the Rays and the Red Sox. The Blue Jays have a losing record against the Red Sox. They are four and five, as you said, but they have outscored the Red Sox in those games by 20 runs. Right. Well, one of those games was probably because they scored 20 runs in one game. 
That'll be a good way to do that. <laughs> you, you, you brought up a good point, which is that the, what the Blue Jays did to the Rangers today is what the Rays do to a lot of teams. Number mm-hmm. one, the Rays force you into mistakes because they are very aggressive and they are a very athletic team that is capable of doing lots of different things. They don't have standout players. They're not there to stand and wait their, wait their turn to, to take advantage, but they don't make a lot of those mistakes on themselves being a very keen run prevention team uh, and also, you know, a good team that runs the bases, whatever else. So the Rays put that kind of pressure on on teams that the Blue Jays didn't need to put on the Rangers because the Rangers put that pressure on themselves by being so bad. Um, I want I, If you follow me on Twitter, you would have, I, I can't not do this, I'm sorry. <laughs> you would have probably seen me uh, go through this today, which is watching the Blue Jays play the Rangers today was really interesting to me because the Blue Jays and the Rangers faced off in the 2016 American League Division Series. The Rangers had won their division, the American League West. The Blue Jays had not won their division. Now, that was before the Astros were good, but only by a year, right? The Astros won the World Series the next year, if I... uh, Didn't they? Yeah, they did, 2017, right? That was the year Mm -hmm. that they they cheated and won. Who won the World Series in 28? Oh, the Red Sox did. Jesus, how did that happen? Anyway... Blue Jays and Rangers, right there. ALDS, 2016. Rangers a good team. Blue Jays a good team. Blue Jays swept them. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward five years later. The Blue Jays made the playoffs last year. The Rangers had the second worst record in baseball. The Rangers right now have the third worst record in baseball. The Blue Jays right now are, uh, what, seven games over 500? They are, especially after this, after outscoring the, the Rangers, the, the Rangers by twenty something runs this weekend, it's only going to increase their stake as you know they're they're standing among the teams with the best run differentials in baseball. The Blue Jays right now are good. The Rangers right now are bad. The Blue Jays have young impact players in place on the team, making that team good. Homegrown teams. The Rangers have none. They have Joey Gallo, who's one year away from free agency. The Rangers have a not very good. Farm system. The Rangers farm system is in the bot. It was maybe 21st, 22nd, 23rd in baseball, depending on who, who and what you read. Uh, now that Rangers have improved that by drafting Jack Leiter, but the Blue Jays farm system was in the top five, depending on where, who you look and who you ask. Keith Law, I believe, had them second. Uh, here at the Athletic, I know that uh, who did I see? Uh, MLB.com had the Blue Jays in sixth. Fangraphs has like a player evaluation tool where it's like all the combined value of of the prospects in the system the blue jays ranked second behind the rays in that team like these two teams went in very divergent paths having met having kicked watching the rangers kick it around and josh donaldson slides in and all the way from second on what would have been a routine ground ball and that seemed like it set the rangers onto a (laughs) terrible path because there's lots of things that you can criticize the toronto blue jays front office about But if you look at where that team is and where this team is today, man, you wouldn't trade places with them for all the money in the world if you're a Blue Jays fan. If you cover the Toronto Blue Jays compared to perhaps covering the the Texas Rangers where you spent the weekend writing love love stories to Buffalo (laughs) because you sure sure as hell are not going to write about the team on the field. Like the Rangers are bad now and they're only going to get worse, right? They're like they're not going to get better this year. There's nobody knocking on the door ready to come and take over and lead the next vanguard of Rangers talent to the promised land. It's brutal. They are a re- like, and, and watching that lineup today, they have one good player in Joey Gallo. They have uh, Adolis or Adolis uh, Garcia, who is a great story, who made the all-star team. And that's mm-hmm. awesome. If you asked me what his, line will look like at the end of the season and will it be higher or lower than Randall Gritchick's? I don't know that I would have an answer for you. There's a little bit of pumpkinry going on about Adelise Garcia, which is a shame. Again, great stories, made some great plays, had a lot of home runs. I, the Cardinals don't mess up, mess up player development too often. So maybe I'm like, maybe a little appeal to authority. Like I can't imagine watching that team every single day because they are awful and those they made those they have those misplays they have that 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 lack of situational awareness of that of uh, jonah heim Mahim, who who there's two outs and two strikes like just catch the ball get the strike out go sit down 
don't worry about trying to throw out a guy who's not even running. You know, and, and then you got Fulton Evich who's out there, you're making him wear it, who's getting so mad, he's stomping around, having a meltdown on the mound. If you're a Blue Jays fan and you are you relish the suffering of the Rangers, um, this is like as good as it gets. If you're a Rangers fan, boy. Sure hope Jack Leiter is uh I don't know, like Jacob deGrom, but um, immediately. Because otherwise <laughs> it, it is like a, it is tough sledding. It is tough, tough sledding. And and I I don't know, they're, they, their front office, they've just changed, you know, they promoted John Daniels to president and they brought in a new, um, Chris Young, the very tall former big leaguer is their GM, very, a very smart guy, but they're in a, they're in a rough spot. And, uh, as a Blue Jays watcher and fan, uh, analyst, fanalist, however you want to describe what I do, I was like, boy, it sucks to be them. That was kind of, that's my big takeaway from the weekend. I do not envy a single Rangers fan and they should maybe contract the team and shoot them all into space. You know, that's all. As you were talking, my like journalist brain was going and I was like, actually, it might be an interesting story if you like did a sort of timeline TikTok from that 2016 series and where the Blue Jays went and how they got to where they are and then like where the Rangers went and like, you know, what were the paths these two teams actually did take and what were the Blue Jays doing behind the scenes? I mean, if it was 2016 that was the year that they drafted Bo and Cavan, I believe, right? They were 2016 draft picks. Um, I think so. They had already si- Vlad signed in 2015. Yeah, so Vlad was Vlad in the Rivera system. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was already in the system. So, again, the Blue Jays have a generational talent on the diamond right now at 21 years old. And the Rangers are like, our best prospect is a second baseman. And he's like the, in the back half of the top 100. Like, Yeah, no. but I mean – just like from that perspective, you yeah, could but, see already mm-hmm. the Blue Jays are like, they have a winner on the team, but behind the scenes, they're, as you say, like they've signed Vladdy, they're drafting a guy like Bo Bichette, Um, and I, you know, I'd have to look and see what else they've done and, and what happened in 2015 and everything. But I do think, I mean, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to write that story, but, <laughs> but maybe, maybe someone will listen to this and write it for me. I don't know. We will we will combine. We will. uh, It'll be a collaborative effort. It'll be the spin rate collab that everyone has been clamoring for. That we will will write the parallel. You know, what would it take? What what could have happened that could have reversed the fortunes? What would it have taken for the Blue Jays to be where the Rangers are and the Rangers to be where the Blue Jays are? Because I mean, in twenty nineteen, both teams were really bad. Mm. But Mm -hmm. But I think the Blue Jays were worse, right? Like the Blue Jays finished with one of the because they. I mean, I'm just thinking of the draft pick and stuff. Um, and Blue Jays picked fifth, and mm-hmm. I don't think the I don't think the Rangers picked ahead of them that year. So they would have finished with a better record in 2019. Sorry, the Rangers would have finished with a better record in 2019 um, than the Blue Jays, right? I know you're they looking did. it up. They did. The Blue, the Rangers were still bad. They yeah. they they were 78 and 84, and that was the year that the Blue Jays lost 95 games. That yeah. said, the Rangers lost 95 games in 2018, so they had lost 95 games the year before. The Rangers traded um, you Darvish famously, mm-hmm. um, but of course he. Uh, they got Willie Calhoun in exchange for, for you, Darvish. And Willie Calhoun is, um, I don't know, not that good. I mean, he's, 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 he was having a nice season. He was, um, in, he's injured now, but he's like a 26 year old DH. So he was he having a nice season. He had an OPS of 708. Nice season. Maybe we're, we're, uh, I'm using that a little bit liberally, but, uh, yeah, just uh, a really kind of tale of two of two franchises headed in headed in different directions, or not even headed in different directions. They've been headed in different directions for a few years, and now they are had are already arrived at very different destinations. With uh, the Blue Jays looking pretty good. Can I just looking- make a random point? Yes, <laughs> I just read this, and I was thinking about it. The Red Sox really timed their terrible season perfectly because you know in the long run who cares about the 2020 season it was 60 games it was a weird year you and so they play bad they're awful that year and then they end up getting a really nice draft pick they were picked i think fourth in the draft this year and the way that things fell we mentioned this last week they ended up getting a really nice player i think it was that mayor meyer kid and Mm -hmm. and he was sort of like one of the 
kids that could have gone first overall and, you know, good all around player. And this is the Red Sox, the what, 55 win Red Sox or 56 win Red Sox picking ahead of the 30 win Orioles this year um because of the way things fell in 2020 and the the Red Sox look like they're built pretty well. I mean, I guess you can never predict with the Red Sox, but I just thought that was funny. I was like, you know, they time they time their bad season really well because they end up getting a good draft pick and then the next year they're first in the American League East in a in a season where the Yankees are a mess and I don't know, like really anything could happen in the AL East this year. The the Red Sox are we'll move on, but mm-hmm. the Red Sox last 10 years are insane the red sox in the last 10 years have finished last in the american league east four times four times they finished last in the division they've also won the world series twice in the last 10 years which is sickening sickening um, if you are a fan of the steady, predictable, reliable, you know, mediocrity of the Toronto Blue Jays, because like the 2012 Red Sox were bad, and then the 2013 Red Sox won the World Series. That was like a everything worked. That team was, um, you know, entertaining. That 2013 uh, Red Sox team. Now, I covered that closely because I was right. I was a national guy then, so I was like writing about whoever was in the World Series, and that Red Sox team just like. Did everything right, like it just they couldn't they couldn't win they couldn't win for losing or the opposite they just everything worked, and they were a good team in the regular season and then they were like stormed to the playoffs and then won then last place last place then they were good again, and then they got they they with that insane you know homegrown core with the with the Benintendis and the Betts and and Bogarts and you know Devers and everybody else they and the help of whatever other external support systems that they were able to tap into in 2018 <laughs> the 2018 red sox were as good a team as i've ever seen in my entire life they won 108 games that year they and then they just rolled over uh the dodgers in the world series they were insanely good so good all around and then they go immediately <laughs> two years later they're in last place again <laughs> what the fuck it's crazy now here they're in first place yeah and they, not only are they, are they in first place right now, if there are might maybe a few cracks in the little Red Sox foundation, here comes Chris Sale making yeah. making <laughs> making rehab starts. Chris Sale, who is not even low, like probably my favorite pitcher to watch pitch in the entire world. He's not of this planet. It's ridiculous. I love to watch him, and uh, there he is on the Red Sox. So. I don't know what what lesson there is to learn from this. Maybe this maybe maybe the Red Sox can be the example for the Rangers of like of like feast and famine, like from the ashes and then back down to the ashes again. But you know, flag fly forever. Red Sox have won the World Series uh, four times this century, which is more than um, more than the Blue Jays. All that success made the Red Sox a very popular team. And many baseball fans, especially those of us who were going to games in the bad old days of like 2006, 2007, 2008, well, Caitlin was but a young youth, you know, wandering the streets of, of, uh, of Scarborough. The Red Sox fans used to take over the, the Rogers Center. There would be Red Sox fans as far as the eye can see. They would be there in their Eucalyptus shirts, terrible people awful cheering having fun celebrating a world series success and then another one and then another one and then another one i uh i resent them all but that won't be happening this year for a variety of reasons but so excited are blue jays fans to be attending live baseball that i'm sure that they will buy every ticket available as the blue jays return home on july 30th made official this weekend caitlin are you excited to watch baseball live and in person from your seat in the press box with wearing a hazmat suit. (laughs) I am excited. Like let's pull back a little and just examine last week because I feel like being a sports fan in the city last week was 
fairly stressful. Um, I think that maybe a lot of sports fans, I'm talking about Jays fans, TFC fans, maybe some tennis fans, just all around sports fans in the city. I think we're getting really invested in the sort of hope, the building hope and that their teams would be coming back. And I think it was like Wednesday, if I recall, that it was just this crazy day where we were sort of getting trickles of information about TFC and it sort of looked optimistic and then it didn't look optimistic. And then TFC announced that they were coming back home and they were going to play in Toronto. And then there was some report, like not so fast, the government hasn't given, they're okay. And then there was another report from TFC saying, no, like we, we don't need the natural, or uh, natural, um, national interest exemption for this game because we're just using or playing with, um, vaccinated players. And by the way, um, I read, uh, that, and this was like a few weeks ago or something, but the MLS, has a very high vaccination rate in their league. I think they're close to 95%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's pretty good. I mean, MLB is 85%, so it's not too, too far off, but 95% or close to 95% for MLS. So when you talk about vaccinated players, that is the large majority, I think, of the team. Um, but anyway, so that was Wednesday. And I think at the end of the day, it was kind of cleared, like, TFC is going to play here. And certainly that gave a lot of optimism, I think, to um, – Blue Jays fans that they were going to hopefully receive similar news in a few days. And, you know, I am, I am involved in this story, both as a, a resident of Toronto that would really like to see the team come back and see a part of this city sort of come alive again. And I am invested in it also as a reporter because um having the team here makes a huge difference in the way that I do my job and just from like my own perspective I think that uh having the team here would just really benefit me from like you know a mental health perspective even just kind of get, get differentiating like a, a, a or a, a like a sort of marking of like that the this pandemic and then it's sort of coming to an end here. And like, you know, I think it would just be helpful um, to have the team here. So I was very kind of stressed out (laughs) all over because I was just waiting for the news. I I wanted to write about it. I needed to know about it, but also I was like feeling a little bit stressed just as like a person, just like, is this going to happen? Like, how is this, Mm -hmm. am I going to know how I'm going to do my job for the next two months? Am I going to have maybe a, a, a return to some normalcy for me from a career perspective? I was in, I was feeling a lot of emotion. So when it finally happened, it was, a kind of a, a sense of relief and excitement. I was happy that it happened on Friday because I didn't really want the decision to drag on any more um, because I had plans on Saturday. I, <laughs> uh, I think so. You've you've made some. You've said some very important things. You and I, a lot of people. The word I keep coming back to, and I, I don't remember where I read this. It might have been like a Vox or something like that. But it's languishing. So those yeah. of us who are somewhat, you know, uh, uh, removed from the from the harsh realities of of the pandemic of COVID nineteen, people mm-hmm. who have the safety, security, privilege to work at home, to have their kids that they can keep home, and 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 all all of those things that that we've we're all abundantly aware of. Um, we're not in the in the trenches dealing with the with the with the with the the uh, the grief that has been wrought across the world, across North America from some COVID-19. I don't mean to speak for you, but I mean, that's where I'm set. Uh, I am. But at the no, same time. No, I'm the same. Like, yeah. yeah. We're not frontline workers. No. We're not healthcare workers. Nope. Um, it's been a challenge for everybody, but I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. The challenge that we had um, sort of pales in comparison to some, what other people had to face. The, the, exactly. But that doesn't mean that we're robots. And that doesn't mean that the effects of, of living this in this kind of stasis, we're not immune to those effects as well. And the, the word languishing is the word that I think a lot of people have been feeling because it's been dragging on for so long. It's been so long since we've been able to do the things that do bring us joy, that do give us something to look forward to. You know, there's the, the, the idea of if you've seen the movie Palm Springs or, or Groundhog Day, like that's a nightmare. That's a, that those movies are, are positioned as like, that's the, those people will do anything to get out of that, to be mm-hmm. living the same day over and over. Palm Springs, shout out, such a good movie. Shout out over and over and over and over. Um, 
And that's what a lot of us have felt like we've been doing again, which is, and then also dealing with the guilt of feeling shitty about it because it's like, am I, is it really that bad? I come and I talk about baseball on a podcast. I play video games. I do my, I continue to work. I get my paycheck, I buy stuff online, whatever it is. Like, can I, should I really be feeling bad? Like that, all that stuff combines for these, this, these frail mental health times that we're all dealing with, whether yeah. or not, whether or not we are again, losing family because that's a different, that's a whole other and a whole other level, but we've been languishing. Having something to look forward to. Having something to look forward to that you know is fun. That's outdoors. That's, that is that a place that most of us, or many of us use as a place to put our feelings anyway, right? That's what sports for a lot of folks is. Sports is a place where feelings are allowed to be, are allowed to happen. People feel their feelings and they, they're, they're in their feelings when they're watching sports, yelling, screaming, hating, loving, all that sort of stuff. So, the idea of getting that back, getting that shred of normalcy, shred of, of, of outlet for, for pent up feelings and guilt and all this different shit that's been going on, um, is incredibly in- encouraging. Like, you know, catch me standing on my chair screaming, okay, Blue Jays with tears running down my <laughs> face. Like I'm, like, a, like I'm a 90 year old scouser singing, you'll never walk alone. I'd like, it's going to be, it's going to be the best, okay, Blue Jays of all time. People, people will be reduced to just, just piles of tears and puddles of emotions because when the strains of okay blue jays ring out across a half full of caitlin i can see her right now right now on camera feeling it she's feeling the emotion it's going to be wild and uh i'm excited i've never been more excited for okay blue jays in my whole life And if they cut away on commercial in the first game back strongly worded letter you, all the good people, you know, the, the very, the people who have worked through, again, very tough times, trying to figure out how to make a pandemic baseball broadcast happen. Shout out to all of them. So if you're in the truck with someone, you don't know what they're doing. You're wearing masks and you're doing camera up, whatever. Don't cut away from OK Blue Jays on the first game back. I will be very, very disappointed. I will take a video of it and post it on Twitter. Just in good. case. Good. More spin rate coming up right after these words from our sponsors. I need to preface this with saying that I am a very easy crier. Everything makes me cry. (laughs) But I am actually like a little bit worried that I'm going to cry at the first game back. And only because I'm like, that might make me seem unprofessional. But I might. Maybe I'll, hopefully there's social distancing on the press box and no one can see or hear me crying um, <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> but um, yeah, like everything you said totally rings true. And I was not articulating it before because I think I'm still sort of like working my mind through the fact that they're coming back. Like when you cover a story so closely and when you cover it as long as I've covered that story, like literally a year, I've been basically covering the Blue Jays requesting to play in Toronto and playing elsewhere and wanting to play in Toronto and everything. So I'm still kind of like working my way through. And because it's not till July 30th, which like sidebar is also the trade deadline. So that's going to be a really busy day for me. Um, But I think I'm still kind of like working my way through it. Um, and like processing that they're actually coming back because like you kind of indicated, like I've been living what feels like the same day over and over and over again and doing my job from my living room. And I think that I was getting to a point where I just felt like I tapped out the capacity of which I felt like I was doing this job well from the seat that I'm sitting in right now. And I was really, really, really starting to miss, um, having those in-person, um, interactions, having the perspective of being there at the ballpark and hearing things for myself and seeing things for myself and observing things for myself and having that in my stories that gives the readers a different perspective or a little bit of extra knowledge or insight into something that they care about. And I think that just also changing up the routine, um, is, is helpful at this point. And yeah, like I was saying before, it just kind of gives a nice, um, you know, closing of what has been a fairly challenging chapter in my career to cover a team for, um, you know, more than a year. Cause I started doing it this way in March, 2020, when I came back from spring training and I didn't know what the job was going to be. Um, and I have probably been on, I don't even want to 
estimate how many Zoom calls I've been on with the Blue Jays. Gosh, like averaging four a day since um, February this year. And there was more last year. So a lot of Zoom calls. Um, and it's just so exciting to know that the Blue Jays are going to be coming back and the team's going to be here. And I should say like that in reporting this story out on Friday and Saturday a little bit, the players talked a little bit on, and on Friday and, you know, one of the main points is they are very excited to see the fans. That is like the overwhelming sentiment from the players is they just cannot wait to see the fans. And, and they, you know, credit to them all gave a lot of praise to the people of Buffalo, to the org, the Bison's organization that totally, um, welcomed them in, in unideal circumstances for that team too. Like their minor league team, obviously it wasn't playing last year, but this year it was displaced. They've been playing in Trenton and the people of Buffalo totally embrace them outside of when they're playing the Yankees. Um, but I think that it, the, the Blue Jays players, have done a good job of not letting this be a distraction, not really letting it be an excuse to not play well on the field. But I think that now that the decision is that they will be able to come to Toronto and there is a date and there's no more uncertainty, I think some of them were able to just say, kind of have a sigh of relief and say like, it's over, like the chap, this chapter is over. Um, and that's sort of how I was feeling a little bit too, just from my perspective of like, as a role, as a reporter, um, covering this team and, you know, Mark Shapiro too was talking a lot about excited about the fans. And I, I'm sure that he's been in the, he's been at the forefront of this. And, you know, he talked a little bit about how, Basically, for the last year or so, he has been getting a crash course in government relations, essentially, <laughs> which is not necessarily something that he had done. He's had a really long, interesting baseball career, but I think this would have been the first time that he would have been extensively working with um, the federal, provincial, and municipal governments um, and, you know, dealing with cross-border travel and all that stuff. So for the entire organization, this has been um, you know, a, a challenge that I think most, they all kind of rose to, but I think that now that there's a closure to it, I think everyone is stepping back and saying, it is just very nice that it is over now. We know we're coming back to Toronto and we are going to be back to some level of normalcy for the team, for the people of Toronto, for the fan base, for everybody in the organization. And I think I agree with you that, I feel like even if I kind of imagine what July 30th will be, like I never covered the 2015 and 2016 teams mm -hmm. and I was at some playoff games as a fan, but I imagine like the energy and the excitement is going to be kind of like that different, different. It's not going to be like a playoff atmosphere where there's like maybe tension and like that kind of excitement mm -hmm. but i just think like the energy is going to be like palpable you know it's gonna be excitement that is that is rarely seen in a july game against i don't know whoever they're playing uh it's the royals mark oh god yeah so <laughs> there was once an exciting july game against the Orioles. might have been august but uh no, the Royals. Uh, in 2015. Yeah, in 2015, there was like the the Blue Jays and Royals played like a really good series. That oh, yes, I remember like, that. Like a lot of heated words and people coming out of the dugout and stuff. Yeah, there was a fight or something, yeah. Uh, Mark Shapiro, good to hear that he is getting into the lucrative world of lobbying. Uh, I <laughs> think that that is a good career change for him. He can make a ton of money. Uh, GR is a whole different kettle of fish um, in terms of like just working with the government because – a lot of the anyway, never mind. I almost, <laughs> I almost like went a little too far. It's okay to cry in the press box. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's at okay the to cry in baseball. It's okay to cry at the that you will not be the first person to cry in the Rogers Center press box. <laughs> uh, in that I watched Tim Linscombe's second no hitter against the Padres at, in the in the Rogers Center's press box, and it was I, I I reacted. Let's let's just say that I I had I had a reaction. 
I don't even to, think to it'll be the. That. I don't think it'll be the first time I've cried in the press box. I've, <laughs> I've probably like stressed out about a story after all the other reporters leave. I'm just weeping at my desk because like I missed my deadline or something. It was actually in those early days when I covered the team when I was like did not know what I was doing. Um, yeah, no, it's probably not the first time I'm going to cry in that press box. <laughs> I I didn't cr- cry in the press box, but in hindsight. Maybe uh, the what I saw. I've told this story before about watching Roy Halladay and his kids that like, come wandering out onto the mound after, after in 2014 on Masahiro Tanaka's first start after Halladay just retired, and he threw out the first pitch, and he like came out with his kids and they were like pretending and like pitching, and he was like standing on the mound, and even though it was like dark and there was like nobody in the press box, and I was in what is now the press box, and I, mm-hmm. at the time I just was like that's this was such a cool thing to see, and now yeah. if I you know it makes me want to cry thinking about it, but uh, yeah. But here we are. Uh, now, so you re- you wrote about this. We should talk more, not as much about our feelings, as much as uh, what do people <laughs> need to know if they are going? If they did oh. acquire tickets, what are the, like the high level, like give me the bullet points, what do they need to know about what it's going to be like? What's it going to look and feel like a game at the Rogers Center in 2021? Well, the capacity is 15,000. So that's... Decent. I think that works out to be about 30% capacity of the Rogers Center. It's obviously a pretty big place. Um, so 15,000 means that it's kind of classified as an outdoor venue. And I think there was a little bit of question marks about what the Rogers Center is going to be because it has a roof. But obviously it's big enough. They they have enough um, air ventilation. And Mark Shapiro seemed to indicate that they have a plan for if there is rain and they have to close the roof, that they have a plan that they can have some opening, some slots open. There's enough air circulation. And it is a huge place. So um, I think it's fair that the capacity should not be limited to like 1000 um, as an indoor venue. So um, that is the capacity limit. I um, probably need to pull up the email to read closely, but I do know that ticket information is first going out to season ticket holders, I think. And then maybe people who have purchased like game packs and stuff like that. And I think the general public um, sale goes on Thursday, I believe. Um, Some stuff that they also said, it sounds like there's going to be um, different kind of seating arrangements. So the 500 level is not going to be opened. It's going to be only the 100 and 200 level. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be, let me just read it so I don't mess this up. Because I think there's, um, where is it? There's going to be, oh, here it is. So there's standard traditional seating, um, two thirds of bowl tickets, and then physically distanced pods of up to four seats. And that will be one third of the ticket. So that's for the first 10 home games. Um, and I think mass will be required um, outside of when you're eating and drinking and outside of really young children, I think age two um, and under. Um, screening symptoms prior to going in. It's it's mobile ticketing, so less touching. Um, I think there's a lot of um, other sort of minor things, cashless payment, all that kind of stuff. Some physical distancing with that throughout the stadium. Um, mm-hmm. But that is sort of the what I know now. There's probably more information coming. Um, but, you know, I think it's actually going to be a pretty – hot ticket to get for these games. I'm, I think so too. I'm glad that I have my ticket, which is a BBWA pass that lets me in the building. I don't have one of those, uh, Caitlin. I don't know if you knew that or not. Well. Well, <laughs> what are you going to do about it? <laughs> no, that uh, it's exciting. It's really exciting. It's exciting uh, for, for the opportunity to do the things that, 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 you love to do that so many fans love to do go in write. you know you get to write your stories you might get to talk to players on the field we get to watch games you get to watch george springer in a blue jays jersey for the first time in toronto we get to watch Shinjin ryu in a blue jays jersey for a, the first time in toronto we there will be fifteen thousand people standing and applauding for vladimir guerrero jr when he comes to the plate bobichette all these guys it's going to be mm-hmm. a great time uh they're playing the Rangers, which is or the Royals, which is agreeable because the Royals are dog shit. So maybe it's not quite guaranteed win night, but you think that that uh, if nothing else, the folks who do attend, and uh, I don't, I don't know that I won't. I mean, I'm not going to actively acquire, try to acquire tickets, but you know, sometimes maybe. the universe comes for me. Sometimes the universe comes and, and does things that uh, that I appreciate. So 
I'm just going to put it put it out there in the world. Put that good energy out there, and maybe one day these tickets will will arrive at my in my inbox. Like when my wife, my blessed wife, bought me tickets for Vlad's first game, like out of nowhere, she was like, "Here's an email," and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" So I sat by myself behind the plate, no tears that time, but we had some fun. And Vlad's walk up song the first time to play was "Old Town Road," which uh, I remember that was a I choice. Don't... I don't he was, think he kept it very long. He's 20, you know. Not that little Nas X isn't cool or anything like that, but anyway. Got anything else? We've been going on and on and on for like almost an hour already. Well, yeah, and I think there's even more we could talk about, about the home, but I think that we'll have time to discuss that. We could talk about how what the impact on being in front of fans could have on the players and on their the field, right? Like... Mark Shapiro kind of indicated that he feels like it could be a competitive advantage for the Blue Jays to get that sort of boost at a really pivotal time of the year trade I deadline. Could, I think it could be a competitive advantage in that they will be have they will have recovered from the competitive disadvantage of playing in Dunedin and in Buffalo and having had sure. for a lot of the time being the opposing team in their own stadium for the first you know two yeah. months of the season. Um, you know the. Much has been made, and I know that Dan Shulman was talking about it a bunch on the broadcast um, today. The Blue Jays have a great time. The Blue Jays get along really well. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about their energy level. They're not. Mm-hmm. You know that they're that they've been down in the dumps or feeling like some kind of redheaded stepchild that nobody loves. Like that's not who they are, and they care for each other. and And there's been some talk and some speculation, like maybe this is like brought them together, and they're closer than they ever would have been. And it's like, okay. I, the biggest issue, the thing that I come back to, and while I've I've taken many um, um, kind of regressive steps back to like team chemistry and like good guys, and go- the Blue Jays are good because they're good, right? They they score a ton of runs because they have a lot of good offensive players, and whether I'm there clanging my jewelry together or not, you know, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to have a good at bat because that's what he does, and 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 Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to crush a mistake because that's what he does when you get it, when he gets them. So I'm, I'm not as convinced about the competitive advantage. I'm just, you know, again, from a, from a non, I think there's, I was on the radio this weekend talking, talking about it, like the, the training advantages, getting back to having a big league clubhouse that's theirs, Mm. that they have their locker, having the, you know, all the training tools and the, you know, that's big league quality. It has always been big league quality. You know, I know that Mark Spott was talking about they upgraded the, they've upgraded the sound system. They upgraded the batting cages. Like the, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's going to be a better environment. The Blue Jays deserve, deserve credit for what they've done as an organization to make these places feel like home for, for spending money, trying to get, Buffalo better trying to get Dunedin from not being literally an A ball stadium to hosting pro players. Um, so I think it's going to be great. It's going to be great for when you're watching on TV. Uh, number one, it's going to be great for when you're watching on TV because you have a better sense of how far home runs go because they don't land in a schoolyard or like on <laughs> or the, the highway. highway. You're yeah. like, oh, okay, second deck, fifth deck, you know, yeah. into the bullpen, whatever, back to norm- normalcy in that way. Um, but I also think that, uh, they're going to be going back to like a real radio broadcast. Is that is that something that maybe I heard or read, or is that is that a just wishful thinking? Um, I have not heard anything about that, but I also haven't been inquiring about that, so I am not the person who would necessarily know. Um, but I don't know. Last Friday, I, mean, I have mm-hmm. heard that I have heard that um, potentially Sportsnet would want to be bringing their broadcasters back into the building. Obviously the situation is now mm-hmm. that they're doing it from home, right? Like, well, mm-hmm. I guess Dan's in studio and then Buck and Tabby are at home. So I would imagine that they're going to want to bring broadcasters back into the building if they can do that. But mm-hmm. I've not heard anything specific about the radio broadcast. Oof, I listened last Friday night. I had to, I drove, I drove 45 minutes in one direction or 40 minutes in one direction. Then I picked up some pizza and turned around and drove 40 minutes back the other way because the pizza in Orangeville, sadly, it's not up to snuff. And I listened to the Blue Jays game the whole time, and wow, it's difficult to do a simulcast. That was last Friday when it was when it was Buck and Tabby. It is a, uh, it is hard to not let the pictures do the talking when you don't have them. When they're like, hey, you know, just. Remarking on it, it's a hard job, and that it's not one that anyone is 
uh, if you're not Vin Scully, you're not going to be able to do it well. And uh, they cannot get Ben Wagner and anybody else, <laughs> a warm body, back into that radio booth soon enough. Because uh, again, I, I I I could criticize Buck and Tabby, but I don't I don't I don't think it's their fault. I think this is just something that has been done at the expense of fan and the fan experience. Listening to the games on the radio when you ha- when you have to when you can is awesome. When it's right, because it's just a totally different ballgame. And Ben Wagner's really good. Uh, again, it's obviously a shame uh, with, with Wilner, but Wilner's landing on his feet and uh, doing great stuff at the star. But Ben Wagner's good, so we'll see what happens with the radio broadcast. Fingers, fingers crossed this is like another sort of bump, a little bonus for, for fans, for people who, who love the Blue Jays, um, to come out of uh, being able to come back to Toronto. Caitlin, you got, what else you got? You got any, any exciting stories, any uh any alternate history, parallel universe, Back to the Future 4, Texas Rangers edition coming up the, for the people this week? I do not, but oh, everyone I, loves it when it's my week on power rankings, which is tomorrow. So everyone, you know the drill. Go to the power rankings, give it a like, write a comment that says you did a great job, Caitlin. We love your power rankings. Um and then we'll see. I mean, there's going to be more coming this week. Probably more reporting on the Toronto situation because there's just more that trickle out. And I think that's just the story around the Blue Jays right now. Obviously, a big series against the uh, Boston Red Sox that I will be following along. But, yeah, I don't know. I think I was just so long planning for this Toronto thing that it's really occupied my mind for the last couple of days. And now that I know they're coming back, it's an opportunity to kind of set up, um, you know, what I can write down the road, but I don't know from here on out, it's going to be a lot of trade deadline stories as well. Cause that's what people like to read right now. So that's what I write. I give the people what they want. So if you have a trade deadline idea story, let me know. I will. It'll be about them when the Rangers don't trade Joey Gallo because they're in such a dire straits that the return for Joey Gallo isn't going to be enough to save them. And, oh, yeah. I am and, writing a Joey Gallo story. I forgot. Yes! Give the people what they want. That's coming out later this week. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. You can read all the things that she's described on The Athletic. My name is Drew Fairservice. You can listen to the show. We'll be back midweek with another one. As you know, we do two of these a week. And then we have a lot of fun doing it. So... For Caitlin, my name is Drew. Talk to you next time on Spinning.